0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. Matthew chapter 1. And we read in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. You know, if you guys have been coming here to Calvary Chapel Almani for a while, you'll, you'll know that Matthew 121 is a verse that I, I camp out on a, a lot. You know, uh, I love that passage. And she will bring forth the son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. His people. Are you his? Are you a Christian? And I would venture to say that maybe all of us are. We are his people. So he has saved us from our sins. Do you guys ever think about that? Isn't that amazing? I want you to just go over to Ephesians real quick. You can mark this, and I just want to point out one passage to you, like a half a passage. The other day I was putting on the armor of God, and I believe that the way that you put on the armor of God is a life that you live, but I think it's also a prayer that you pray. Uh, And it was so cool. Um, I heard Warren Worsby say the same thing the other day on the radio about putting on the armor of God through prayer. And so I was putting on the armor of God. And and here in Ephesians 6, notice it says in verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always. You know, I don't know how things are going in your life. I don't know how things are going in your marriage. I don't know how you're doing. I think we all kind of have an Achilles tendon. And that's kind of like maybe a weakness or a vulnerability where we stumble in frequently. And yet God is saying you don't have to. You can overcome. But, you know, you know, when we're doing warfare with the enemy, uh, the Bible says to, to put on that, that armor, it's going to help you. And then some days are, are worse than other days. I've noticed that in my own life. You know, you go through seasons of life, and it seems like it's not, not too bad. It's always a battle. But then there are, like, those assaults of the enemy, those assaults of the adversary, the evil day. And, and either way, the Bible says to put on that armor. One of the, the, the things of the armor and that I wanted to mention today, in light of our text in Matthew, is verse 17, where it says, and take the helmet of salvation. I think a lot of times we go out into our day, into our life, and we don't, we don't put on the helmet. We don't put on that helmet of salvation. What is the helmet of salvation? Well, you know, most people will tell you that the helmet of salvation is the assurance of salvation. You know, because we're already saved. He's talking to believers. And he's just saying like daily you have to, you know, put on that helmet that will guard your mind from the thoughts that maybe the enemy would want to, you know, put your way uh, and, and make you doubt your salvation. And that's why I like Matthew. I like Matthew 121 because it it really gives us the Christmas story. You know, Jesus would come and he would save his people from their sins. He would save his people from their sins. And so what I want to do today is as we go through our passage, I just want to uh, just encourage you guys in this. That, that This is what Christmas is all about. And that Lord has come to save us from our sins. But we are his people. And and therefore, you know, just the fact that we're saved should bring a whole bunch of joy. It really should. We're saved from the power of sin. We're saved from the penalty of sin. We're even saved one day when we're in glory from the presence of sin. That's all packaged within salvation. You don't have to sin. You know, we have the power not to. Didn't used to have that power before we were Christians. Now we do. And we know for sure that if something were to happen to us, we'll go to heaven, a place where there is no sins. Helmets are important, right? Would you guys say that helmets are important? Would you say it was important to the Roman soldier? You know, I have a friend, Ed, he's here today. He gave me a a helmet. and And it looks like those, you guys have seen those, you know, Roman helmets, right? Maybe the Trojan helmet type of thing. Um, You know, helmets are important. We've learned that over time. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, helmets were made mandatory uh, in football, 1943, in baseball in 1952. And they were made mandatory uh, to ride a motorcycle, at least in California, in uh, I think it was 1992. Would you say those helmets saved any lives? Yeah. Prior to the helmets being mandatory, the whole reason they were made mandatory is because people were dying. And and for us as Christians, I'm not necessarily saying that you're gonna you're gonna lose your salvation if you don't wear the helmet of salvation. But if you don't wear the helmet of salvation, you might lose your joy. You might lose your purpose, you might lose your calling. You might lose like some of the the things, or if not most of the things that, that God has called you to experience in life. Because the joy that our Savior was born, that helmet of I'm His people, that He has saved me from my sins, it changes everything. I don't have to blow it with my wife anymore. You know, I don't have to... You know, do those things that before I was in bondage to. I'm not under the dominion of sin. You know, so looking at this and just, man, you know, celebrating this time. It's huge to me. It really is. I want to encourage you guys to put on the helmet of salvation. Because look at what happens. Look at verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. And so this is how it happened. Uh, This is what Matthew is saying are the historical facts surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew, as you know, provides the experience of Joseph, while Luke gives us this from the perspective of Mary. You know, both of them are necessary, and they're both accounts of angels being sent from Almighty God to a couple of teenagers in Nazareth, that God the Father had chosen to raise His Son, our Savior. And so we read here in verse 18 that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And I looked it up in the dictionary. Well, how do you pronounce that? Is it betrothed or betrothed? So you know what the dictionary said? Both. Okay, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> you can say either one. But the Greek word, it means to be promised in marriage it would actually be better described as a legally binding engagement. The young couple had been committed to each other, undoubtedly by an arrangement made by their parents, maybe even when they were very young. But they, you know, what we read right here, they were not yet fully married. Therefore, they had not consummated the marriage. And so we even read in verse 18, look at verse 18, that after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph but before they came together and so the bible's real you know careful in pointing out that fact that they had not yet been intimate is before they had consummated the marriage and what ends up happening was Joseph found out that his fiancee was pregnant imagine that You know, for a second, it's it's just a hard thing to think. And then to further complicate matters, Mary tells Joseph that that God is the father, you know. (laughs) That God's the father, that she's been faithful to Joseph, she's been faithful to God. And it's for that very reason that they've chosen them to bear and give birth to the Messiah. She maybe even told Joseph, we've been chosen to have and to raise the Messiah. And so, you know, there you are, you're engaged, you're betrothed, you know, your fiancé comes up to you and says, I'm pregnant, but the dad is God. How many of you would believe that? Right? I don't think any of us would, and Joseph didn't either. And so we read in verse 19 that Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. You see, this was illegal. (laughs) It was illegal to be pregnant outside of marriage. Uh, The Jewish civil law said that it was against the law. It was so against the Jewish legal law that it carried with it the death penalty. And again, not just being pregnant outside of marriage, but adultery itself, which was this considered to be carried with it the death penalty, according to Leviticus 20, verse 10, and Deuteronomy 22, 21 through 24. That was the letter of the law. Adultery, you die. Now, does that mean that everyone who committed adultery under Jewish civil law was killed? No, not necessarily. As a matter of fact, we are blessed with the account in John chapter 8, When, remember that story? A lot of you have probably read it. The woman that was caught in the very act of adultery was bought to Jesus, and her accusers uh, said, The law says she should die. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus, knowing that they had set her up, that they got to her just to get to him, you know, Jesus extended grace to her and he said, Let her go. And he Commanded her, however, to sin no more, to stay sexually pure, and to save that beautiful act for marriage, right? But the thing is this that not everyone died who committed adultery. Here's the thing if Joseph wanted to, he could have made a case based on the Bible, he could have made Mary a public example. Right? If he wanted to, I'm sure he was heartbroken, angry, and thoroughly convinced that the one he loved, the one he had set his heart to spend the rest of his life with, had just been with another man. And now she has the audacity to lie, and not just you know to tell any lie, but the lie was that God was the one who had conceived the child within her womb. I mean, it didn't... It didn't, like from, you know, Christian or whatever, biblical perspective, it didn't manifest any signs of repentance. Because he was just thinking she's lying, right? And so we read here in verse 19 that that Joseph didn't want to make her a public example, that somehow, some way, Mary might be spared the sentence and the shame that would accompany such activity. Why would he do such a thing? we read the reason there in verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. You know, and that's kind of like another sub-story, I think, to the Christmas story that I pray we wouldn't miss. When God chose people to use, he chose Mary and Joseph, and I believe for a reason. And I, and I think it's all Grace. I really believe that. But I also think that the eyes of the Lord scan to and fro, looking for people whose hearts are loyal to him. I think that Joseph and Mary were chosen uh, because they were godly. Um, And Joseph here is described as a just man. The Greek word means uh, right or righteous or virtuous. It's interesting. The same word is used of Jesus. In Matthew 27, 19, the Bible says that while he, Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man. And so Jesus is just, Joseph is just, and Joseph, who would be the stepfather of Jesus, was a just man. And even though he's thoroughly convinced that he's been wronged, he doesn't want anything bad to happen to the person who did him bad. And I think that's pretty cool. I think that that is how Jesus is. And I think there's a lesson woven in here in the selection of both Mary and Joseph. And, you know, I don't know why this really never hit me, but it hit me hard this year. That holiness and righteousness and just being like a just man is not being the Pharisee. It's being like Jesus. And if you've read the Gospels, if you've read the Gospels, you know the distinction. Joseph was a just man, and he could have thrown the Bible at her. He could have made her a public example. Um, but at the same time, he didn't just let it slide and you know say, ain't no thing but a chicken wing, right? He didn't do that either. He just said, you know what, I have to do this. I I, I believe it's right. She's not repentant. I'm going to divorce her. But I'm going to do it in a, a secret fashion. That's what it says there in verse 19 that he was uh, minded to put her away secretly. You know, he's convinced that Mary has committed adultery, and the worst part about it is she hasn't confessed to her crime. You know, she's not repented, it, blaming it on God, which brings him now to the doorsteps of divorce. And so there he is, he's thinking about this, Right? Now, some will tell you that it was Gabriel, you know, the angel Gabriel, but the Bible doesn't actually say that. Uh, We do know that an angel appears to Joseph um, in a dream. Now, when the angel appeared to Mary, I think she was awake. Joseph was asleep, but nevertheless, the angel comes and he says a couple of things. Joseph, don't be afraid to say, I do. Joseph, don't be afraid. For it is true. Man. The child within the womb of Mary is supernaturally conceived by God, the Holy Spirit. And this is kind of cool. Before ultrasounds, they're able to determine, you know, the gender of the child. And it's kind of cool. I think the Lord helped them out too. It's like, okay, I'm going to have God's son. What should I name him? Oh, let me just tell you what what to name him. (laughs) You know, you're going to name him Jesus, right? For he will save his people from their sins. You know, in the Greek language, the the, the name Jesus is uh, Iesus. Can you guys say that, Iesus? That's Greek, right? In the in the Hebrew language, uh, the the word is Yehoshua, and I, and supposedly the emphasis is supposed to be on the shoe, Yehoshua. I don't know. I'm not really good at Hebrew because they have like a like that to it. You know, and some will say uh it means because it's interesting, it means the same exact thing in the Greek and the Hebrew. Um, Yehoshua is salvation, right? Some will say Jehovah is salvation. There's no J sound in Hebrew, it's Yehoshua is salvation. That's what you're supposed to name him, right? And and and, and that's where we come, you guys, uh today in our study. You know, that's the the Christmas, I think, the Christmas reflection. We know it's not just a natural birth. It was uh, God coming to earth to save us. You know, to save us from our sins. I don't know if you guys ever think about that word, save. I mean, we hear it a lot, actually. The word saved can mean a lot of different things. It... You know, needs to be taken, obviously, within context. It can be spoken in the surroundings of baseball, for example. Um, you know, the, the, the guy's got, you know, X amount of saves. Uh, Mariano Rivera, I think he's a Christian, I'm not 100% sure, but he has the most saves in baseball, right? At 652 saves, in 19 seasons in the big leagues. And so, Mariano Rivera... Um, saved games right and it can be spoken of in financial settings did you guys know this economists tell us that we're supposed to save 10 percent of our gross income did you guys know that how many of you guys do that i'm just curious i'm proud of you you know so some people save games Uh, some people they save money Uh, there's even some that save lives Uh, uh, physically speaking, I, I was just kind of just messing around and going online, reading articles about, you know, recently there was a nine-year-old girl that was drowning in in the ocean, and they uh, they have the whole video footage of her getting saved, and they even have stories of animals, you know, saving people uh, in de- different ways. Um, and so some, you know, they save games, they, they save money, uh, they save lives. But Jesus, he saves souls. You know, Mario Rivera saved him from losing a ball game. Jesus saves us from our sins. I don't know if you've come to this place in your life as a Christian yet to realize what a a foe. What an enemy we have in sin. You know, before you are a Christian, it separated you from God. Isaiah 59, verse 2, Romans 3, 23. You know, before we were a Christian, that was what God in between us. That was the very thing that got in between us. And then after we become Christians, it does it to a certain extent as well. I mean, I pray that you don't take sin lightly. Sin is awful. But Jesus saves us from our sins. His name is Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from our sins. Uh, The Greek word translated save is interesting. It it means to rescue from danger or destruction. It speaks of saving a suffering one, a perishing one. And not only that, not only just saving them from that so that, hey, they didn't die. It also means um, making them whole it means making them well so not only is it like i'm going to save you from dying it's like i'm going to save you to life john 10 10 and says and that more abundantly you see that's what jesus has done that's what jesus came to do salvation was his mission from the get-go, we read that in Luke 19, verse 10. It says, for the Son of Man, Jesus said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. How many of you here remember the time when you were lost? You were lost as a lizard, right? <laughs> in my house. for John 3, 17. It says, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And, you know, when I blow it, which happens every once in a while, uh, it happens every day. And I'm not proud of that. I try not to sin, but I thank God that I've been saved from the penalty of sin. And then as I'm growing, we face different issues, but the power of it. And then one day, the presence of it. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven no sin, no sin whatsoever. It's going to be amazing. No no ramifications from the, the fall. We live in a fallen world right now, and even though it's still beautiful, it's fallen. I mean, there will be no sin in heaven. Jesus has saved us from that. And so here we are today, and they say that I don't know, close to 3 billion people are going to celebrate Christmas, right, in the world. And uh, it might even be more. I read one article that said even 8 out of 10 non-Christians in America will celebrate Christmas. According to one report, ABC News said that $465 billion are going to be spent on gifts and goodies. And I'm learning a lot more on goodies than I realize, man. But I wonder if, if they if they if they think about these things that this is you know what it's all about. He will save his people from their sins, you know. Um, and I know we've heard this before, but I think we need to just reemphasize the fact that we just can't, we shouldn't take Christ out of Christmas. I was even reading one article that said the top Christmas movies without Christmas, and I was like, how can you have a Christmas movie without Christmas? You know, and so they were sharing all these movies. I guess they're big blockbuster movies that, that, that came out during Christmas season. But they have nothing. There's no Christmas in it at all. I'm like, why would you be looking for that? You know, it's an oxymoron. It's an anomaly. It's not a reality. You can't have Christmas without Christ. But when you think of Christ, I guess in in many ways, my prayer is that you wouldn't forget that we wouldn't forget and that we would cultivate a heart not only of absolute appreciation, but absolute adoration. That he will save his people from their sins. And I pray you guys, we would have that. You know, that word sin is an ugly word about missing the mark. It's something we do all the time. But what we find right here is Jesus fulfills this for us. And so we read in verse 22, it says, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. You know, I like Matthew. Remember, Matthew is writing to the Jews. He's presenting Jesus as king. And the Jews obviously would want some biblical references to validate these things, right? And it's, that is important, you guys, as we're going through life. You know, well, tell me where it says that in the Bible. It's a good question to ask. And so Matthew goes. Boom. Isaiah seven fourteen, written seven hundred years before Christ. You know, I have a book in my office. It's called Three Hundred Messianic Prophecies. Three hundred. When Jesus came the first time, he fulfilled three hundred prophecies. And what that does, you guys, is that just brings it to heart. You know what Matthew is trying to do is I, what we're seeing right here, and the angels communicating to to Joseph. Something that I think uh, the church needs to hear because here's the thing, and I know this is kind of like funny, but I see it. The church is asleep, fatigued, tired, sleeping, not awakened, not revived. I mean, how much more of a message do you need? God has come to save us from our sins. What else do you need? Do we need to rock our world to a place of absolute surrender and commitment? Was the message gotten old? I don't get it. But, but look what happens. I like what it says in verse 24. Then Joseph being aroused from sleep. I like that. And I go. I know, you know, I don't want to twist it and over-spiritualize it. But I'm sorry. There's a lot of people sleeping. And I think we need to be aroused from our sleep and just say, wow, look what's happened. <laughs> you know, and that person out there and those people out there that don't know Christ, and here I am, I'm, I'm caught up in my kingdom. And God says, no, no, you need to do, like, look what Joseph did. He's been aroused from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. What did Joseph do? If you could sum it up in, in one word, after awakening, what did he do? He obeyed. Obedience. You know, and I and I just pray that, that in, in looking at Christmas and having that heart of appreciation and having that heart of absolute adoration and... And maybe taking time to go away and spending some time in, in contemplation and just sitting down and just getting with God and just think, and just seeing and, and, and realizing, God, you came to me. And, and in saving me from my sins, you made me yours, His people. You took you know it's so neat in the book of Ephesians when it talks about His inheritance. What do you guys think of when you think of Jesus' inheritance? Maybe you think of, of the universe. Imagine the planets and the galaxies that are out there. Imagine all the, the, I don't know, what the galaxies are made of. I don't know if there's planets of gold and, and diamonds and all that kind of stuff. Maybe that's what you're thinking. But no, the inheritance is, is his people. It's us. And when you look at that and you realize you know, that's who, who we are, it's kind of funny. I'll tell you guys this, and then we we'll have to have, we get to have communion tonight. Sometimes people will write me little notes, and I don't know if you've ever experienced it, because I know others of you here are pastors as well. But sometimes they they spell the word pastor wrong, and so sometimes they put P A S T E R, and that's okay, because you, you, you know a lot of times these are like the best letters you ever get, right? And uh, and and it's just like a little reminder of me, like when I when I read the pastor. Okay, thinking of the past, I got to be careful with that. Sometimes they'll put "pasture," pasture manny. And I'm like, that's funny, you know. But it's a reminder too, of what we're we're reading today. That we are His people, and we are of His flock, of His pasture. Why? Well, it wasn't because God was sitting on the throne and, and, he, and he spoke the word. It wasn't because God was sitting on the throne and like he waved his magic wand and, or made a decision or a decree from heaven. It was because God, you know, he came down. And what did he do? He made us his people by being born and there he was in the cradle. One day he would die on a cross. Right? And when we place our faith in, in Jesus, you know, uh, what does the Bible say? No other name, huh? You call his name Jesus. There's no other name whereby we're saved, but at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have you done that? Have you really you know bowed the knee and, and confessed from the heart Jesus as your Lord? If you have, you're saved. You need to put that helmet on, man. and You need to wear it every day because the enemy tries to destroy us through doubt and discouragement and defeat us in thinking that we can't overcome the power of sin or we haven't overcome the penalty of sin. And yet, in, in Christ, you guys, we have. I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to read to you uh, this poem. I I read every year. So if you don't want to hear it, you can leave. I understand. (laughs) But I just, I don't know. I just think that um, in this Christmas season, it's so easy. There's always that tug of war between being so busy that we forget Christ. And so I pray that, that we wouldn't. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house they gathered, their families, singles and spouse. They opened their Bibles and read them with care. They prayed from their hearts, God, speak to me there. They opened to Luke and Matthew and Mark, the book of Isaiah, Jesus, our song, contemplation, meditation, incarnation, adoration. The real reason for Christmas is Christ, our salvation." But on this night before Christmas, not all bowed their heads. Some would rather see sugar plums dance in their heads. They'd rather hang stockings by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. They'd rather see reindeer and cheer Santa Claus. They've forgotten the Lord neglected his cause. How sad they forget in all the world's clatter, feel empty inside and wonder what's the matter. They've left Christ out of Christmas, no babe in their scene, the one who would save them and the one who was king, the one born to die and make us all clean. You see, Christmas is much more than a holiday saying. It's much more than eating and drinking and playing. I hope and I pray and I plead that you'd see that Christmas is God's love for you and for me. For that babe that was born was God's own dear son, born in a manger with a mission to come. As time would progress, the boy would grow to a man to teach and to touch and reach out with God's plan, off with the crown and out of the cradle to an old rugged cross from Bethlehem's stable. You see, this is what Christmas is really about. Christ was born on that night to die and to shout, I've paid for their sins and all they've done wrong. So repent and believe that you might belong. To the family of God, kids of the King, Christians who have a real reason to sing, don't wait till tomorrow to make your heart right. Let the Lord Jesus fill you with all of his light. That as you surrender with him in your sight, you may say, and will say it, you know, um, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Let's pray, Lord, we thank you. And we can say merry, we can say Merry Christmas with meaning. That we are merry, that we are joyful, that we are exceedingly glad, and we appreciate, we worship you, thanking you for coming. Lord, I thank you that this wonderful visitation where you didn't just kind of come and go, you're also with us from from that day forward with us, is something that we can celebrate. And I just pray, Lord, this year, as we once again go through this uh, these feast days, Lord, of celebration, that you would touch every heart, my heart included, Lord. I need to to be awakened more than ever before, alert and sober, Like never before. I just thank you so much Father. That we get to celebrate you. And I pray Lord that as we have communion today. That you speak to our hearts. If there's any here that don't know you. I pray that here, right here, right now. They would place their faith in Jesus Christ. We love you Lord. We thank you. We ask you in Jesus name. Amen.